You know, as a leader, I see my most important role as the chief energy officer. And so it's rewriting that script to be open to the possibility of a whole new dimension of yourself and life trajectory in that 3.0 phase. They, they have some gift that's not being fully deployed, and yet they follow this path to quote-unquote success, and they end up feeling, uh, you know, at some point in time, like they're at an impact. Welcome to the Beyond Capital Podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. Now, more than ever, stakeholders are demanding the integration of social values and causes in everything from shoes to soap to investments. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. And this is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is Seth Streeter, an old friend of mine. Seth is the founder and CEO of Mission Wealth, a wealth management firm that specializes in guiding clients through major life events and helping people find and fund their purpose. Seth is also the founder of Sustainable Future, a technology platform providing campaigns and resources to affect change for a cleaner, safer planet. Seth has previously worked as a financial advisor and as an active community organizer in Santa Barbara, to say the least. Let's dive in. Welcome, Seth. Hello. It's great to be with you both. Thank you. It's great to have you. So you founded Mission Wealth in 2000. And as Ed said, the goal is to help people plan for big life events. Um, What motivated you to start your business? And even tell us more about what big life events mean to you. Well, after working in the financial services industry for seven years, I observed that there were a number of conflicts in the industry, namely where you had large companies that ultimately wanted you to represent their product, this whole proprietary product bias. And so I, at the time, uh, had a, a friend who was also in the industry, and we decided we wanted to build a different model of firm. This was in the mid-90s that was based on First of all, an objective platform where you never had that proprietary product bias, comprehensive planning and proactive service, ultimately focused on being a fiduciary, focused on clients' best interests. And so that was really the founding pillars of Mission Wealth that we founded in 2000. To answer your question about what are these life events, you know, as we've worked with literally hundreds of clients over the last 28 years, you see that clients go through these big episodes in their life. Maybe it's when they started a company or sold a company. Maybe it's when they retire, or maybe it's a divorce or the loss of a family member. Or it could be a COVID crisis. You know, there's these big events that happen. And in those moments, we have an opportunity to kind of reassess and in a way wake up to what really matters to us. And it's in those moments that planning can be so beneficial to help people really navigate their options and, and pick the path that's going to be most aligned with their highest goals. Your background is, is a financial advisor, um, but you've kind of become a thought leader in looking beyond this financial aspect of measuring wealth to what, what you call the 11 dimensions of wealth. So what are these dimensions and why are they important? After working with so many clients, really focused on, you know, their balance sheets and helping them optimize their financial goals, 
it hit me that, you know, you might help someone get their $10 million home or secure a, a really wonderful financial lifestyle, but they might not still be happy. They may still be lacking fulfillment in some way. And then on the, the contrast to that, I've done a lot of service trips all over the world. I've been with people in a lot of developing nations where they seemingly have nothing when it comes to material possessions, yet they seem actually happy and fulfilled in ways even beyond some of those clients that had $10 million homes. So it kind of begs the question for me to say, what is true wealth? What is true success? And yes, there is a financial component to it, but there's many other dimensions. So to answer your question on what are the 11 dimensions of wealth, uh, no, number one is financial dimension. You know, are we satisfied with our net worth or with our cash flow? But then there's also the dimension of impact. Are we happy with the degree of difference we feel like we're making in the community or the world at large? There's the family dimension. How satisfied are you with the depth of connection and quality time with those that are closest to you? There's your emotional well-being. How is your stress level, the quality of your sleep, your general attitude? That's emotional wealth. And then there's social capital, you know, your caliber of your friendship that you have in the community. Fun is actually a dimension of wealth. I know a lot of, quote, unquote, very successful people who have very little fun in their life. So how much, how much daily joy are you experiencing? I am so Physical rich. Wealth. I am so rich, man. <laughs> You're the, rich in that way, Ed. In that, that way, I am doing great. <laughs> you're a rich man. <laughs> yeah. Your your physical capital is just simply, are you pleased with how your body looks, feels, and functions? Your spiritual wealth is, do you feel like you have a, a connection to a framework beyond yourself? Something that kind of gives you perspective. And then your intellectual wealth is, do you feel intellectually stimulated? Do you feel like you're growing intellectually or are you bored? And then career wealth is, do you feel like you're being appreciated for what you do in your career? Do you feel like your talents are being utilized and that they align with your values? And then finally, your environmental wealth is really, do you feel a sense of place and alignment with where you live? And so I find by helping people really assess their degree of wealth across these 11 dimensions, sometimes they get really helpful feedback to say, well, I'm doing really well. Maybe my 401k balance has gone down, but in other ways, I feel really wealthy. Absolutely. And I... I am guessing that these add up to a totality of wealth consciousness. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's all about, you know, a person's sense of fulfillment. And, you know, as a financial advisor, we're in such a unique seat because we are getting to meet people. They're, they're opening up and sharing about not just their you know, financial assets and liabilities, but also their family dynamics and their hopes and their wishes and fears. And so I've always seen this role as being kind of like a Trojan horse where we show up talking about a financial aspect, but then we're able to open up the conversation to be far more about the person and about what really fuels them and, and maybe even what permission they need to give themselves to live a more aligned and joyful life. Yeah. And for me, wealth consciousness is very important. Um, and it's something I think a lot about. I think it's, it's also one of the keys to becoming an impact investor. Um, and investing for social impact is realizing that there are other types of wealth. And we also talk on the show about relational wealth um, through Ed's company, Appreciates. I've learned a lot 
about social capital, but also the concept of relational wealth. Um, so I, I just really um, applaud the creation of these dimensions and the way that you express them because it is so clear. Can you tell us what you think the benefits are of adopting a mindset or a practice that helps somebody be truly wealth conscious? Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, we all have largely followed a script that was taught to us at a young age. And, you know, I had this script. It was do well in school and sports and student government and work hard to get into a good college to then get a good job. And then you get the job and you work your way up the ranks and maybe you get a graduate degree and then you make more money and then you, you know, you get a house and you get a bigger house and then you get married and you have kids. And it's just this kind of trajectory of success. And that trajectory may make many people satisfied, but there's a lot of people who followed that scripted path who feel like they're, there's something more, you know, they have maybe an artistic part of themselves that's not being expressed. They have a curiosity in some area that they don't get to, to scratch. They, they have some gift that's not being fully deployed and yet they follow this path to quote unquote success and they end up feeling uh, you know, at some point in time, like they're at an impact where, you know, gosh, I thought it was all about this, but I'm not fulfilled. And so what I would say the real benefit of helping people to look more holistically at their own definition of success and wealth is that they can find ways to feel more grateful for what they have. And they can learn where they should be putting their energies and resources to find greater levels of fulfillment and joy. And, you know, a big one that comes up is feeling this sense of purpose, feeling a sense of contribution. And a lot of people, you know, they, they like what they do for work, but they might not feel like it's really moving the needle in making the world a better place. And so that's where that particular dimension of impact comes in. And, you know, with clients, we would start by bringing up these subjects to them and talking about socially responsible investing. You know, would you like to invest according to your values? And that might be by omitting, you know, tobacco stocks or omitting, uh, you know, some animal testing or some uh, area that they're passionate about. Then it evolves to saying, well, how can we look for companies that are actually doing really great work in these particular areas? And that's where, you know, it gets more into the impact side of the conversation, companies that are moving the needle forward. And it's a wonderful bridge to take a financial conversation into a purpose conversation. And then it gets into someone's career. You know, how are you? utilizing your gifts, your assets, your skills to make a difference through what you do every day. And I know you both have experienced that firsthand as well. We have been very lucky to, to experience that. And uh, I, I think, again, I think that, that, that your philosophy is the foundation um, for being able to integrate more into your view of wealth. Um, I know that you also have a special practice for what you call independent women. Um, can you dive deeper into that and um, also maybe explain the reason behind having special consideration for women's needs when it comes to financial advisory services? Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of women have spent a big chunk of their lives focusing on everyone but themselves. You know, first, maybe as a spouse, maybe as a mother, uh, maybe as a caregiver to parents or siblings or just friends and other family members. And what we found is that women who have maybe dedicated their lives in that way, and maybe they had careers as well, but who get to a point where they're saying, wow, you know, my, my kids are more independent. And, you know, my, my husband's had his chance to focus on his career. 
now is kind of my opportunity to dive in and see what really speaks to me. And we found that this kind of niche around supporting independent women who maybe they've had a life event. Maybe they've lost a husband and become a widow. Maybe they've uh, gone through a divorce. Maybe they now are empty nesters. It's a really ripe opportunity for these women to work with other women to really identify what lights them up and how they can contribute their many gifts in a positive way beyond that of being a caregiver. And so we've developed uh, programs and curriculum and resources to support women on this journey. And it's been really exciting to, to see people open up uh, new possibilities in their lives. What are some of the unique challenges? Um, or meaning, what are some of the resources as answers to these challenges? Well, unique challenges are we tend to define ourselves by what we've done. Uh, mm-hmm. So as an example, uh, I've, I've created this workshop uh, called Developing Your Life 3.0 Vision. And the simple framework is 1.0 is usually when we're younger, but that's when we get our sense of identity. Are we athletes? Are we academics? Are we caregivers? Are we musicians? 2.0 is when we kind of pick our field of study. We begin our career. We maybe get married. We have children. We start our company. That's the phase of responsibility. So our head is down. We're, we're focused on just the family and career and trying to, you know, just get through the busy phase of life. Then there does come a time when kids become more independent, where we've achieved a lot of what we wanted to professionally, where maybe we have some financial resources. And that's where 3.0 comes in, which is the phase of freedom. And in this phase of freedom, we start to think about our purpose and legacy. We start to think about a bucket list trip to Bali or learning to play guitar. We think about rekindling relationships, maybe with our spouse or with friends. We think about our spiritual growth. We think about our physical uh, health and how we could put more into that. But the challenge to answer to your, your specific question, Eva, is that so many of us have are caught at like 2.8 and 2.9. Our sense of identity is caught up in what we've done in the past. I am a business owner. I am a mother. I am a, a spouse. And it's hard to realize that we have to let go of some of those identifiers of who we are in order to launch into a more meaningful, joyful 3.0 phase of life. And I would say that's the biggest impediment is helping people know that they have to let go of some of that uh, identification and default mindset that supported them and allowed them to thrive in the 1.0 and 2.0 phases because they may not serve them in the 3.0 phase of life. And so it's rewriting that script to be open to the possibility of a whole new dimension of yourself and life trajectory in that 3.0 phase. I'm really struck by how much education you do with your clients. Um, Is that a core part of your model? Absolutely. I mean, and then at the end of the day, we're in the kind of education and empowerment business. You know, we're here to help people understand where they are, to really dive in with a lot of comprehensive tools to give them a very clear snapshot of where they are, but even more importantly, to help them identify where they want to go. You know, and if it's a husband and wife, we will, you know, sometimes play mediator and help them kind of paint that canvas of what the future looks like and then help them optimize the path between here and there. What are the tools and approaches that will give you the highest likelihood of success to get where you want to go? And yes, that might be based on investment strategies and financial planning modalities and tax and estate planning practices, but it's also coaching. It's also helping people, again, unlock some of those tethered mindsets 
that have kept them in the 2.0 phase that will not serve them in the 3.0 phase. So it's really a education and empowerment process that we work with our clients to get to this other 3.0 chapter in their lives. So what I'm curious about is, you know, as a financial advisor, I'm sure somebody's, let's say, 55 years old, they have a certain amount of money, they want to have a certain amount to live on, you tell them how much they can live on, and um, if they start straying off of that course, you gently intercede. Of course, you can't force them to do anything, but you sort of say, hey, look, remember you said you wanted to have this, so you probably shouldn't take that money and buy a boat with it, right? Um, so it's it's like definitely expected for a financial advisor to kind of jump in and course correct. I'm curious, though, like around the more uh, qualitative aspects of wealth, these other dimensions like impact or intellectual if someone has told you, hey, I really want to be a, a you know, gentleman scholar or I want to you know, write poetry or whatever it may be, and they, they stray from that course, do you get involved there or are you less involved with course correction on the other aspects of wealth than you are on the financial aspects of wealth? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we are in the behavior modification business. Ultimately, you know, we're getting people to do what they don't always want to do, you know, save first, be dutiful, get your estate plans updated. And the same thing is true when it comes to some of these qualitative goals that people have. So for every client, we create what we call a wealth planning organizer, which are these nine different categories of uh, a client's life. And we will put in those qualitative goals into that wealth planning organizer. And as part of our service process, we have ongoing review and reconnectivity to that wealth planning organizer, which will allow us to bring up, hey, you said you wanted to play, learn to play guitar. You know, have you, have you bought the guitar? Have you taken lessons? You know, where are you at with that? Or you said that you really wanted to, you know, start biking again. Have you gotten into cycling? How's that going? So it's really a constant kind of reminder that gets brought up in our ongoing wealth management review process, because again, we define wealth as being more than just the financial component, that we will revisit some of those qualitative goals. Sometimes it requires more than just bringing it up, though. So we've had some women who have gone through uh, either a divorce or they've lost their husbands who really desire to get more connected in the community and to develop some additional social bonds. So we will take it amongst ourselves to say, we're going to make sure that, that Carol gets invited to at least five events this year. And we're going to uh, invite other women that Carol might connect with at those events to try to help bridge that goal further for her. So we get involved. We try to come up with fun ways to uh, help them move forward on those qualitative goals. Uh, a great one a couple of years ago is a woman had just retired after a 45-year, very successful career. And we were meeting with she and her husband. And I was kind of asking questions like, what's a big bucket list dream that you have? And she said, you know what the bucket list dream I have? I've never been in a hot air balloon. And her husband looked at her and said, I didn't know you ever wanted to go in a hot air balloon. She said, yeah, I've always wanted to go in a hot air balloon. And so we just noted that. And uh, she ended up retiring three months later. And as a surprise retirement gift, we bought a hot air balloon ride for she and her husband and two other couples to go out and get in a hot air balloon ride. So sometimes we actually make those qualitative goals happen for our clients and it's really, really rewarding. And as you can imagine, 
it really develops a deep bond with our clients. Incredible. I'd love to take a break from Mission Wealth and ask you about your morning routine and what gets you up ready to go and to lead your company with enthusiasm. I love that question. I, I actually like to study morning routines because I know that's really how we uh, kickstart an amazing day. The very first thing I do when I wake up is I you know, get conscious that it's morning and then I close my eyes, I take three deep breaths, and I try to feel gratitude for where I am in that moment. So I start by saying, not checking my phone, you know, not hearing the latest news alert. I start by connecting to myself and just feeling my breath and feeling grateful for having another day to be me. Uh, then I get up and I will uh, usually go outside right away. And I kind of do a stretch. I just kind of do like a good morning world. And I look at a, a view outside my bedroom window. I usually see, you know, birds or, you know, trees, nature in some way. And I just kind of like feel the morning. And then I have a journal that usually the night before I've put down, uh, you know, a couple things that are really important for me. And so I'll go back to my journal. I'll remind myself of what my big blocks are for the day. And maybe I'll add a couple things to that. And I kind of just sit with that. I kind of sit with that gratitude. I sit with that morning kind of nature reinvigoration. And then I get really connected to my core purpose, my core impact that I want to make that day. And then from there, I go and do it. I, I hop in the shower. I have breakfast. Um, I typically work out three mornings a week. So some mornings I'll go work out. Otherwise, it might be at the end of the day. And then I'm off to the races. I have usually a pretty jam-packed day. And... Uh, the other kind of nice practice I have is I, I eat lunch at the same place every day. And so it's kind of like my cheers bar. I go to this amazing cafe in Santa Barbara and I have a huge salad. So I know I'm getting my greens. And every day I have a meeting with someone. And so at 12 o'clock every day at my favorite spot, I sit down and I have a meeting with someone. It might be related to my company. It might be related to my nonprofit. It might be a friend. It might be a community leader. But I know I'm getting that kind of power hour of uh, inspiration at noon every day as well. So those are a couple of my building blocks. Coffee, tea, or caffeine-free? <laughs> Never drink coffee. I have tea most mornings, and I try to make the caffeine version of it an exception. These last two weeks have been the norm. <laughs> but mostly it's uh, uh, you know like a green tea if I have a caffeine tea. Otherwise, it's an herbal tea in the morning. Yeah, knowing that you are in um, shelter in place in California, how has your routine changed? Now, so what we've done, you know, in my business, we, we work with 1,300 families across the country. And this has been a really trying time for so many people, you know, obviously, first and foremost, from the, the health scare standpoint, but then from the economic and, and huge financial volatility scare, secondly. What we've done is we've had an all-team Zoom call at 8 a.m. every day of the week. So we've had that now for two and a half weeks straight. And that's just been an opportunity for us to share the latest resources with our team, to make sure we're all kind of focused on the priorities, to hear and, and make sure people feel supported, uh, to really have our team, even though we're operating remotely, be able to feel as one and feel empowered to make a difference that day. And then the next day we kind of celebrate the impact made the prior day and dive into it again. 
So that's, that's been a big change. Starting the day with an all-team meeting now for almost three weeks at 8 a.m. on a Zoom call. I think it's an excellent idea and, that, and certainly a way to bring together people working remotely. You know, as a leader, I see my most important role as the chief energy officer. So a CEO to me is a chief energy energy officer, which my job is to bring presence and positivity and purpose and calm to the company, to the organization. And so I want to make sure that we are all feeling that way, that we are here for a reason. We're here to serve. We're ultimately about taking care of others and we're here to support each other. So I find that from a cultural standpoint, if people can feel like they are cared for and if they can feel like they have a purpose beyond themselves and that there's a reason why they're doing what they're doing, that can add tremendous fuel and tremendous resiliency even during challenging times like we're under today. So tell us a little bit more about Sustainable Future, this technology platform that you founded. What is the mission? What's it all about? Well, I've worked with a number of different nonprofits over the years and I'm very passionate about uh, the environment and sustainability. My dad was a, a wildlife biologist and I grew up in a very environmentally conscious family. And after working on uh, eight different boards, I finally said, gosh, I don't feel like I'm really moving the needle by just you know sitting on a board and, and doing the board work. These are great nonprofits, but my main observation was that these nonprofits, while they're really wonderful organizations, to a degree are really limited because they're competing against each other there's this silo effect where nonprofits are competing against each other for, you know, shelf space for their programs, for dollars, for volunteers. And so I had this aha in 2016 where I said, you know, if we could somehow bring all of these nonprofit organizations together, we could make a much bigger impact than allowing the silo effect to carry on. And so my impetus was really after we uh, got out of the Paris Climate Agreement, I thought, gosh, I have to do more than sit on a board. I have to move the needle. And so I brought together 100 members of our community from city council members, professors, business leaders, nonprofit leaders, to be able to discuss what are the ways we can all unify as one community for the benefit of the planet. And these 100 people came up with six categories of environmental concerns. Issues related to waste, food, transportation, water, land, and energy. So 55 nonprofits in Santa Barbara each fell under one of those six categories. We then set up a separate meeting called the Design Sprint, where we had 50 people and a facilitator for a day to come up with what would be the top key performance indicators under each of those six categories. And so we came up with what would move the needle uh, for transportation in Santa Barbara to make us more sustainable as a community. And so that would be reducing the vehicle miles traveled per person. That would be reducing the gallons of gas consumed per person per day. And so we have this now vision of 24 key performance indicators across these six categories that would make Santa Barbara really a, a prime example for sustainability that other communities could follow. But we need to find a way to drive engagement around this. And the, the answer really became clear. It had to include two factors. Number one, a technology platform that people could easily access and follow. And number two, it had to include gamification, a way to really drive engagement that makes it actually fun and, and brings challenge into 
getting people to want to take these micro steps in their lives. And that was really the foundation of sustainable future. And so we work now not just with the nonprofit community, but we also work with the business community, the public sector, schools and universities, and faith-based organizations. So we go across the whole community uh, developing campaigns that will incentivize and empower people to make smart choices when it comes to food and composting, reusable water bottles, biking to work, all sorts of actions we can take to be healthier, more resilient, and sustainable. That's incredible. Do you see Sustainable Future as its own as its own entity? Is it connected to your business? I and mean, does it kind of follow the guidelines of corporate social responsibility, or is it, you know, kind of its its own thing at this point? Yeah, so it is its own thing. It's its own organization. Uh, but my life, Eva, is very integrated. So, you know, Mission Wealth is involved with our own Mission Wealth Sustainable Future campaign. I have clients involved with the program. We have numerous other businesses. My kid's school is involved with the program. My daughter's leading 170 students in her high school across 10 classrooms that's doing weekly challenges for sustainability. Uh, so it is a, a distinct organization, but it's something I'm super passionate about. And so it kind of follows me where I go. Yeah. And it, it shows, I mean, your passion and your commitment and bringing your whole self to everything that you do is just coming through and shining through this conversation. So I'm grateful that you've also brought that to the table. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited right now. Uh, you know, everyone is really working from home. And so we're fueling what's called an eco challenge for the whole community of Santa Barbara, our whole county of Santa Barbara. And so over the month of April, over 30 days, we're going to be competing against 450 teams from around the world to take actions such as health, personal health actions, uh, volunteering, community sustainability actions. And it's super exciting to see the community starting to galvanize around this. Uh, so it's not just, you know, one classroom competing against one classroom or one school against one school. It's entire communities competing against entire communities. And, you know, it takes a village. Like, I, I love the African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so it's this coming together is a huge opportunity for us to really move the needle when it comes to sustainable practices. There are so many things we can do to be more mindful. And it might seem irrelevant if we just go to Starbucks and get that one disposable cup of coffee with lid and stir and toss it 20 minutes later. But if millions of people around the globe do that, well, then that's a lot of landfill and a lot of it ends up, you know, in the ocean. So if we could gamify across the entire globe, these simple practices and learn what resources we have. And if we get, you know, accolades from our peers for doing the right thing, then we can actually make a pretty, pretty significant difference when it comes to, you know, energy, water, food, waste. Uh, the built environment, transportation. I mean, there's so many things we can do uh, if we if we work at it and focus on it as a collective. I think our lifestyle changes, as you say, being being home, lend to better choices in many ways for the environment, and you know, not trying to look for too many silver linings in in, a, in silver linings in a, in a crisis. Um, but one of the impacts has been that you know climate change is is kind of when climate change is, has been reduced and there are certainly better impacts on the environment. Um, so I think that, 
you know, your point is certainly well taken. And I, I do think that our listeners are also looking to learn something and to kind of find, find different angles that come through um, business, but also our current, our current environment and what's happening in our world. Exactly. And, you know, being almost more like our grandparents, which is, you know, more about reuse and, uh, you know, being resourceful instead of just disposing saves money as well. So businesses are finding out that these types of campaigns are great for the culture. It's a great way to blend the younger and the older workforce, but it also saves the company's money, you know, so it has a lot of benefits from a cultural standpoint, from a environmental standpoint, and from a, a bottom line standpoint. My great-grandmother, when she would open a birthday present, she would carefully slice the tape and then remove the paper and then fold it back up again neatly and take the wrapping paper home with her so she could reuse it. Right. Mine did the same. I still do that. <laughs> you love do. it. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That and mushroom coffee. Yes, there are all these trends. So... Um, <laughs> Looking 10 years in the future, you're already doing so much and giving so much of yourself to your values. What mark do you think that Seth Streeter will leave on the world when we look back? Well, an area that I hope to keep getting better at is being in the fullest expression of Seth Streeter. And, and, and I wish that for everybody. You know, again, I think that for many years I was Still focused on pleasing others, pleasing others, and, and trying to measure up to outside uh, expectations. That I wasn't as focused on being authentically me. And so, in ten years, I hope that I am, you know, even more fully expressed as Seth Streeter. And that person will be doing more of this coaching work. You know, I'm leading retreats with groups from around the world. I will hopefully have, you know, more content as far as books and so forth that can uh, spread further some of my uh, messages of kind of inspiration and empowerment. I have some network groups that I hope will really have expanded uh, called Inspired Living. That's through the YKO network. And I hope that I am uh, a true champion for sustainability uh, through the Sustainable Future platform and also partnering with numerous other organizations because there's so many fantastic businesses and organizations in this space. I just want to help bring them together. Like I'm not looking to be the front or try to be, you know, the, the, the lead of this. I just want to be a supporter of what's going to move the needle forward because I'm truly concerned about our planet. And I, I think about my children. I think about my grandchildren. And I want to make sure that there's a, a clean, healthy, vibrant world for them to enjoy. So 10 years from now, I hope that I'm making a greater impact uh, in the area of kind of conscious financial choices a greater impact in the area of wealth and success and helping leaders find more purpose, and then also a champion for a cleaner, more vibrant planet. You might need to start drinking coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and that, yes, it's a very good suggestion, Ed, and, um, but not from Starbucks. And um, Seth. Straight in your mouth. You don't need a cup. Exactly. If there was one <laughs> piece of advice that you would like to impart to our listeners to take the first step to become more wealth conscious, what would it be? I would say, you know, we go, we grow by letting go. So give yourself the opportunity to pause and reflect and really say, you know, on my deathbed, 
what will I regret not having done or having tried? And then go do it. You know, so I would say it's kind of giving ourselves the opportunity to wake up and redirect to where we might be called to go. And that's what, you know, these retreats that I lead are all about is giving people kind of that fertile environment to wake up and listen to that inner voice to say, this is where I need to go. This is an area I need to lead into. And I have this inspired life purpose exercise where people can really help design that more. So my advice is let go to grow. Excellent. That's incredible advice. And thank you so for everything that you do and for taking the time to join us today. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you and learn more about sustainable future and mission wealth and about you as a person. So thank you for your time. Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure. And, and thank you even Ed, for creating this platform to really share these messages with the world. You're doing such a great service to be able to allow these messages to be amplified. Thank you. It's been great having you today and we look forward to having you on the show down the road and get some updates on all this great stuff you're doing. Perfect. I look forward to it. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Once again, it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social, environmental, and ethical impact. There is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at EA Stevens. And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.